The Australian government has recently been lobbying hard to member states of the World Heritage Committee to oppose the in-danger listing of the Great Barrier Reef. Last week they were successful in their bid, and the scientific community say the irrefutable evidence of damage to the reef suggests the decision is inaccurate and only postpones the inevitable listing of the reef as in danger. For this week's news talk, I caught up with Associate Professor in Physics, Dr. Scott Heron from James Cook University. First up, thanks very much for coming on to Panorama today, Dr. Heron. Emil, it's great to be with you. The Australian government lobbied hard to member states of the WHC to propose the in-danger listing of the reef. Why do you think they all voted against the listing? I'm, I'm not completely sure uh, as to the, the thoughts that they have in mind, but my reading of the situation uh, could include uh, a key factor of the entire World Heritage process. And that is that in 1972, this body was uh, first uh, defined for the purpose of protecting heritage. It involves many, many different countries, many, many different nation states. And as soon as we start taking the ideals of protecting heritage and linking them in with nation states, uh, inevitably we bring politics to the fore. And so my sense within this is that the pushback from the varieties of uh, country members of the World Heritage Committee uh, against uh, the notion of listing the Great Barrier Reef uh, on the in danger list um, is really a, a political notion rather than uh, rather than adhering to the concepts and the, the wording and following the tenets of the convention. That's, that's my reading and that's my personal perspective on it. Many scientists have witnessed coral bleaching and increased water pollution in the Great Barrier Reef in recent times. Should young people expect more action from the government to protect the reef from the many risks associated with the changing climate? Look, the UNESCO World Heritage um, draft recommendation uh, so that, that came from the centre with the advice of its advisory bodies, uh, certainly spoke to the issues around locally manageable threats and specifically poor water quality and the efforts to alter that and improve the water quality and also spoke to global scale issues, specifically the impacts of climate change. Um, do we need to uh, do more in these spaces? The answer is absolutely yes. Do we need to have uh, policy guidance on that from our political leadership? Then the answer is again, a categorical yes. Uh, are we seeing that leadership and seeing those efforts done? Well, there's been a great deal of work gone into the 2050 uh, reef water quality plan. Uh, and so I, I want to make sure to acknowledge uh, that work there. However, the efforts that have gone in to date, the data uh, collected since those efforts have been undertaken suggest that the goals and objectives that are set under those water quality initiatives are not being met. The Great Barrier Reef Foundation states water quality issues are being affected by industrial and agricultural runoff, as well as increased seawater acidity associated with climate change. Most importantly, we need to have clear policy on climate change. We need to have a clear direction on how we as a country can contribute to the global effort, and it requires a global effort, but we can contribute in uh, 
a fair and just way to uh, mitigating the impacts of climate change and reducing the causes of climate change. Importantly within this, there's a social justice aspect. I have, um, my kids play with other kids whose parents work in industries associated with extractive mining. So I don't want my, that my kids to be playing with kids whose parents don't have jobs. I think the key thing here is to look at what are the transferable skills from our current practices and how do we engage transferable skills uh, initiatives to bring across into the new technology areas. Uh, and so that's an important part of our social justice piece. The other side of the social, social justice coin is to say that there's around 60,000 people who depend upon a healthy and vibrant Great Barrier Reef for their livelihoods. So not doing anything or continuing the path that we're on at the moment is also disadvantaging a large number of Australians. And just lastly, in your piece in the conversation, you mentioned that the Australian government is due to table a report about the reef's health in February 2022. What should we expect to see in this report? I'm not sure what we might see in this report. I have to be honest. Um, February uh, sounds like it's only about seven months away. And, uh, and seven months is not a long time. Uh, there may be some additional observational data collected. There, there was a report released by the Australian Institute of Marine Science uh, during the World Heritage Committee meeting, which gave some good news. It said that uh, coral cover had bounced back in, in the studied areas of the reef. Um, however, it also, and, and that was pitched as good news, and here we go, the reef is fine. The corals that grew back were the fast growing corals, unsurprisingly, and it was important to note that those fast growing corals had started off, the, the recovery of coral cover had started slowly and accelerated. And that's a signal that we see for all of us. Healing starts slowly and as more healing occurs, it increases. Um, you can talk about that for a cut on your arm. You can talk about that um, for having a, a cold or a sniffle. Not that we like to talk about colds and sniffles at the moment, um, but uh, in all of those aspects there, uh, healing starts slowly and then increases in its rate. Um, we saw that in those same data. If we start seeing climate related disturbance events, coral bleaching and mortality, tropical cyclones, occurring more frequently as is projected under climate change, we're never going to get out of the slow recovery phase. We're never going to get to the point of that faster rate of recovery uh, that, that we can see in those data. And, and that is of great concern. And in no way am I questioning the quality of their science or of their data. I'm just saying that there were different pieces. Finally, in, in that little report, um, the, the parts of the Southern Great Barrier Reef in particular that were assessed were those that were least affected by heat stress in the early part of 2020. Thanks very much for speaking to Panorama today, Dr. Heron. We appreciate you giving your time. Appreciate your interest, Emil, and thanks very much to your listeners. Panorama is on Twitter. To join the conversation or stay updated with what's happening on the show, follow us at Panorama SYN.